people set all kinds of goals, and they're good goals. I mean, marathon runners, we're not coming down on that. But it is kind of amazing what might uh, consume you. Take up all your thoughts and, and, and what you might give your energy to. And uh, I wonder in some ways, as people read this, or when Paul would speak about what he's going to do, as we're going to read this in a moment, if they wouldn't think the same of Paul. I mean, he was consumed with something that he encourages all of us to be consumed with. We read in, in Philippians chapter 3, as we get into verse 12, he, he moves to this athletic imagery. And he was well aware because he was in, you know, speaking to Philippi, which is a, a, a province of Macedonia, which is a part of Greece. And so obviously they were well aware of the games and the running and the marathons and, and how important that was. And so as he writes these words, he has this athletic imagery and he says in verse 12 of chapter three, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's been talking about wanting to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus and the importance of that. And he goes, not that I've gotten there, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the prize, to, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So for this upward call is what it's really translated as. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. The mind is set. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly body so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to our hearts? I pray this morning. In just these few moments that we have, I would ask, Spirit of God, that you would speak your word through me and take these words of Paul and bring life to them. For any humble and open heart here this morning who wants to learn more about who you are, God, and what it means to live in the kingdom that you have called us into, I pray that you would, you would speak to that heart and speak to these hearts. And speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know many things that really bring greater joy than watching someone you love actualize their potential. Where you invest time and you give your life and you put your energies into someone. And as you look at that life, you begin to see that life move towards and reach out for and actually fulfill their potential. 
I've had the opportunity to go down to the nursery or kind of where my office is um, between services the last few weeks. And I, I noticed Megan Bach there with her little daughter, B. And, and some of you know, she's just kind of waddling, just starting to walk. And there's this incredible sense of pride and joy. Just as you see your own little one begin to start develop and to mature and to learn even such a simple skill as walking. You know, parents, you know what that's like. Some of you and grandparents, you, 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 you have a sense of joy and, and you want to tell people. As they even take a step towards that progression. A teacher with a student feels the same way. Our, our youth leaders and those who are volunteers and those who are on staff here um, feel that way when, a, when one of their kids graduate. I was at a graduation party yesterday and had an opportunity to come around one of our graduates and, and just to see how God has moved in this person's life and leading them to the next stage where they're going to be going to college and as they move forward towards what God is calling them to. And there's just a sense of, as I watch some of our, our, our student leaders um, in ministry, kind of walk out of there. There's a pride. There's a joy. It's the way a coach feels about an athlete. Last, um, last year, the last game of the season, not the playoff game, but the last game of the season, my family, we were given four tickets to sit in the 50-yard line, and we were sitting on the 50-yard line and, and had this great experience, and next to me was, was seated a man from Columbus, Missouri, who was the high school coach of Leslie Frazier, our, our, our Viking head coach. And he was sitting there. He had coached Leslie Frazier. And, and he just looked at him. And throughout the game, there was just this sense of joy, this pride. Here's this student, this, this athlete that he had go on. And now he's an NFL coach. Not only following in his footsteps, but exceeding it. And it was so fun that day because we, we just watched him beat Green Bay. It was just a blast. Yeah, you can clap. No. Yeah, and there's joy. Isn't there joy? There's, there's what, what, what Paul says here. When you watch someone you've invested your heart in, verse 1, he comes to the end of these statements of, of, of chapter 3, which is an incredibly important point because he starts out finally. Further, he says, and now in, in verse 1, there's kind of a summation of this teaching or this, this desire that he wants them to know, this truth. And he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, I've, I've invested my life, I've prayed for you. I'm actually sending someone, my, my, my dear son Timothy, to be with you. I'm going to ask you to stand firm, to move into what I'm talking about and what I've just written about. Because I am full of joy and I'm proud of who you are. And my, my deep desire in this message, I, you know, I sit... And as I prepare messages, I go, is there something, God? I just, if I could make, if it's possible for, for you to use me to help people to take one step further, my deep desire would be that you would hear Paul's goal, you would set that goal for your own life, and you would do what you need to do to accomplish it. And beyond that, he goes on a little bit later. So the verses 12 through about 14, he talks about this goal of growing and knowing and, and growing in Jesus. And then he gets into these verses, verses 17 through 21, and he begins to lift this pattern of growing that takes place. And, and he says, join my example. I, I would love for you to find an example. And then a little bit later, he goes and be an example as a community of people as you strive towards this goal. People set all kinds of worthy goals. You know, we laugh at the fact that someone who sets out their clothes, thinks all day about running, talks to people about running, goes out and runs 15 miles, all of this in preparation to run a marathon, because it's so life-consuming. 
And there are some really good goals. There's times you, you're called to do certain things. There's, there's what I call great marriage goals. There's great parental goals that you should set. There's goals that you should have around developing your family. There's goals you should have around developing the kind of friendships that, will, that you'll invest your life in, that will make a difference in your life. There's health goals. There's career goals. They're all good goals. But what's really interesting when we look at this passage of Scripture, and if you look at these verses that Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then go on to verse 12 and through verse 14, you'll see what he's saying is there is a goal that is far more worth than you can imagine. And I want you to set that. You know, it's interesting. He's been talking in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. He says, you know, I want you to watch out. There's going to be people who are going to try and rob your joy. The simple joy you have because you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's not something you did. You didn't earn it. You didn't in any way um, perform in such a way that, you go, that God said, now you can have a relationship with me. It was something that God did in Jesus on a cross. He opened a way that you can know Him. And in knowing Him, you can begin to experience His life. And now He basically says in verse 12 through 14, I would ask you to set is, is the greatest priority. The goal of your life is not only just to know him in this intimate way, but to know him so intimately that you grow into him into the fullness of who he is so that he fully, in a sense, becomes a part of you. In a very real way, you are uniquely who you are with all your gifts and talents and abilities and background and everything you have. But what happens now is you get to know Jesus. His character begins to be formed in you. He begins to make you like God in your character. He begins to form in you this idea that you are a loving person. You begin to burst with joy. You develop this unshakable peace and you are noticeably patient and you're tenderly kind and you're thoroughly good in every motivation. You go, that's a big that's a big deal to get there. And Paul goes, that's exactly what I'm setting my heart on. You know, this, this, this goal that, that, that Paul says is, is, I think, summarized well by a man named Dallas Willard. Passed away not too long ago. A number of deep writings. But he says this, the most important thing God gets out of your life, the most important thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. Think about that. That's also the most important thing you get out of your life. Someday you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before Jesus. And, and, and he's going to say, I invested all of myself into you. I entered into his. I, I, I've made myself available through his, his spirit and through the church and through the means of his word and, and through relationships around you. And he said, I've invested all this. And someday he's going to look at you and say, the most important thing you're going to bring into the kingdom is the person you are. So give your goal and, and give yourself to this goal of both knowing and growing in Christ. You know, when you get to the end of your life, when you actually um, get to that, that, you know, you, that final day, that last breath, as we talked about this morning, Iola, her, her final breath, your final breath. What will you have given yourself to? What, what's, what's consuming your thoughts? Now, I realize we all have things that we have to be involved in, but what, what is that overriding goal? That if you set it, it would begin to put in order all the other goals. It's like Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, his rule, his, this relationship, this knowing of God in your life. And it has a way of putting in order every other goal that you have. All those things, he says, will be added unto you in their proper way. In the proper perspective that God wants it. 
So Paul starts out and he uses this athletic imagery in verses 12 through 14. And, and I think it's important that you, you kind of stay with this athletic imagery. So if you're going to set a goal and you're saying, you know, God, I really do want to be like Jesus. I understand my relationship with Jesus, not some kind of performance based thing. And I'm not running to him out of my shame and, and running away from him out of my shame. But I'm actually coming to him because of who you are God. I come to you in the sense of what you expressed in your love. As I enter into this relationship, I want to enter into this through this grace day in and day out. I want to get to know you so fully that as I get to know you, I become like you. And so Paul uses athletic imagery. And I think yeah, there's some tips you can take from this. In fact, um, athletes have some best practices. So as you set a goal and you think about what your goal is going to be, I want to share with you some best practices that Paul seems to employ. The best athletes utilize a coach. The best athletes is, 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 I think, what Paul is saying here in verse 12. It's not that I've already obtained all this. I want to make sure that you know that just getting to know Jesus, this relationship, opening my heart to him was a start. It's not a fire insurance policy. I wasn't trying to just get out of hell. I was actually trying to bring the resurrection kingdom life of God here on earth through me. That's my goal. I want life change on a daily basis as best I can make it happen as I know Jesus. And so he said, I haven't obtained that. I haven't even gotten there. I'm far from it, in fact. He said, I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on. And I like this, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It kind of brings back at a time in his life when he was persecuting the church. And in the persecution of the church, he came to this realization because God grabbed a hold of him through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stopped him in his tracks and says, why are you doing this, Paul? I love you. And at that time, his eyes, which were blind, were now able to see it's really interesting. He has this physical blindness, but his heart begins to see. And what I find is interesting is, is this idea that, that, that Jesus, like this coach, comes alongside and says, Paul, I want to help you see what you can be. When I was um, sharing with you last week in this passage of Scripture, chapter 3, specifically verses 1 through 14 have, have been kind of, it was that scripture, I was a, um, in my spring, what kind of winter, spring year in college. I was an economics major. I went to the college that my uncle went to. My uncle was a, a, an entrepreneur who started a business and did exceedingly well in his business. And I always, I just, he was my model. I wanted to be like him. And I was there at college and I was going through this. And um, I began to start saying, what, when I get done, what is what I want with my life? And it was then I was just going through this spiritual search. My heart was kind of hungry for wanting to know God more fully. And I remember I went up to that room. I started reading Philippians 3 and I read that pastor scripture. And it just day in and day out. I did it probably. It had to be two, three months every day. I'd read, and, I, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. That's what I want to do. Well, fast forward that just a few months, it was in the summer of that same year as I was getting ready to go into my sophomore year in college and, and I was um, beginning to process, I if actually was sitting um, by a tree outside where my house was in that summer and it wasn't a day like this, it was a beautiful sunny day. And I sat there and, and I began to recollect in the sense of some of the things that I had given myself to like in high school, some of the sports. I loved athletics and I loved to give myself to those. And I, I was in my freshman year, I was involved in the sport there at the college. And, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, I never gave myself fully to really becoming all that I could be in any of those sports. I, I just didn't give it my all. And I was sitting here thinking about my, my relationship about knowing Jesus. And as I was reading, I just decided to read these verses again. And, and verse 12 just just jumped out at me. It was like it wasn't like an audible voice, but it was like Jesus was just impressing deep on my heart. And this has really become my life verse. 
Not that I've already obtained this or, or I've already reached this goal. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I had this, this deep experience where it was as if Jesus was speaking to me. And he said, Kevin, I can see what you can be here on this earth and for eternity. I just want to come alongside you throughout your life and coach you. I know you better than you know yourself. Would you be open? It, was, it, was, it felt that real. Would you be open to, to get to know me and meet me and, and do whatever it takes to, to reach that? And, and I remember thinking to myself, that's what I'm going to give my life to. The best practices of athletes is, is they come along and they, they look for a coach who, who has gone further than them, has the ability to help them become more than they can be. And, and, and in a real sense, if you're going to set kind of this goal to want to, to really know Jesus, Jesus is standing beside you right now saying, I know what you can be. I want you to, to, to invite me into your experience on a daily basis. Not just a Sunday morning thing. Not just a once in a while. Not to, to get more Bible knowledge or things like that. It's to become... It's what we talk about, life change, to become more like Jesus, to, to become a person who's loving and, and a person who is full of joy and a person who is beginning to grow deeper in peace and, and begins to know patience and kindness and goodness and, 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 and then become faithful and reliable. Begins to learn the control of oneself so that Jesus kind of lives his life through you without in any way eradicating who you are. And I remember thinking that, and I think, man, I want that. And I would pray, as you think about it, that you might even hear the voice of the Spirit of God right now saying, you know what, I want to be your coach. I want to come alongside you. And all you have to do is open your heart and say, you know what, I I like that, Jesus. And then there's another best practice that athletes do. The best athletes, they, they learn not to compare themselves to others. They learn to compare themselves to themselves. You know that? You know, the problem when you compare yourself to others is, is what happens. And so what happens in a performance-based relationship with Jesus, if it's about what you do and about how much attendance you are at church and how much money you give and, and, and it's about how good you become, see, even your goodness is, is a self-righteousness. If it's all about that, what happens is you do two things. You either stifle your growth through, through what I call discouragement, because you kind of may have the sense where you look at others who are just, man, I, I didn't go to you know, seminary, and I didn't do this, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and it's, you just go, ah, oh, how discouraging. Anybody do that? I do that. And then, and then you, then you go to the other direction. And if you want to, you know, and you start feeling really good, and maybe you're feeling pretty good about yourself, and you, you start attaining some things, and and now you start looking at others who are down here, and what it does, instead of stifling, it limits your growth because you move into pride. You know, the best athletes don't do that, and if they do, they're going to get stifled or they're going to get limited. The best athletes do this. They look at what they could be, what their coach, as we just talked about, sees that they can be, and they compare themselves to themselves. And so what happens is you see some of the best athletes. I was watching um, the news last night on sports. It was the night before, and, and one of the girls had run this race, and she was far ahead of everyone else, and she said, yeah, what I do... You know, if she was far ahead, it was real easy just to sink back. She says, you know what I do? I look at the next post and I, I kind of look at my time and see if I can beat that time. I heard once that Tiger Woods, one of the things he does because of some of his ability in golf, is he just tries to see if he can do a better swing and, and hit the ball better than he did the time before. I um, was 
shared last week about my my dogs and how they pray. Some of you were here, and um, and so this week I was kind of thinking about it, you know, that I shared that, and I had the dogs there, and I put the food in their little plate, and I have a little cat that's about a year old that I rescued. And I would have it on the porch with me when I would study, or in my quiet times in the morning, this cat became my buddy. And, and so and this cat kind of hangs around with the two dogs. And whenever we do this, the dogs, I put the food in their plate, and they actually, they actually, without me hardly even saying anything, they just get down on, and look, and they look at their food. They don't look at me. But the cat kind of wants to go in and take their food. And you know what? Dogs aren't real crazy about that. Um, they're still working on some growth areas because they growl and all this other stuff. So I now, I, instead of before I give the dogs their food, I actually take a handful and I put some of that dog food down for the cat. And I have to keep the cat over here. But what's really interesting is the dogs sit down to pray. They're Christian dogs. My cat doesn't at all. I can't, they can't, I can't teach that cat to pray. And I was, this is true. I'm sitting here, I'm praying, I'm, I'm thinking, God, you know, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, God, for making us dogs and our dog nature, like that kind of thing. And then I had this thought, and I thought, man, this cat. And then it just hit me. Maybe because I'm doing this message. I'm comparing this cat to a dog nature. And when I compare this cat to its own nature, I'm in, you've got to be really impressed. Here's what happened. This cat in the mo- at night, when I call the dogs in, that cat comes. When I go down to, you know, to take care of the horses and the dogs come, that cat comes. If I'm in the porch and I call that cat, that cat comes. I thought to myself, this cat's doing really good for a cat. Now think about it a second. We kind of do that all the time with people, with ourselves. We don't know what another person's background is and what their gifts are and what, what, what God is doing in them. And we compare ourselves to them. And he says, I don't want you to compare yourself to them. Compare the, yourself to your own nature and who you are and what you have been to what you will be. And here's one thing you can do. We've been talking about joy. If you're not more joyful now than you were five years ago and you've been in the church for five years that might be an area where God's saying, bring a coach around you. Look for someone who can teach you about joy. If you're not more patient than you were ten years ago, if your anger is in the same place, then you've got to look at what's going on in comparison to yourself. So they compare themselves to themselves. The best athletes also have short memories. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And Paul had this habit. He forgot his failures and moved forward. He learned from them, but they didn't control him. Nothing would hold him back. He had persecuted the church. He had done things, but he had processed through that and through that is now no longer letting that control him. He didn't even look at the things he had accomplished and let those things, in a sense, let him rest. He had a short memory. Good athletes, you know what they do? Quarterbacks, um, good golfers, anyone in a sport... They have to kind of let go of what they just did so they can move into what's happening. Now, I want to share with you this as well. Good athletes do this. If they find like a golfer has a swing and they're doing the same thing over and over again, they don't just forget it and keep going. They actually go, well, wait a second. Something is causing this and I better study it a little bit so that I can be in a better place. I received an email last night from someone in our church who God has just done some remarkable stuff in their lives. 
One of the things that God was doing in their lives was learning. It was teaching this person that, you know what, the stuff that has been done in your past, he's not saying forget about it and try to erase it. He says you may need to go back and bring Jesus through it to bring some healing to it so that you can move to another place because stuff in your past can't control you just in the same way that you can have a kind of character habit of something going on. There are things that need to happen. And this person shared how they had an opportunity through both counseling and through our gateway prayer ministry that God used both those things to be able to come in and to bring some light to some things that were controlling them in the future, in, in the present so they were not able to move into the future that God had for them. You may be in a place like that. You may be going, I don't get it. I just stuck here all the time. Or I don't, I can't hear God's voice in this place in my life. Or I'm really struggling. I can't forgive this person. You know what? The best athletes, they don't just have short memories. They have short memories that have really gone back and, and understood so that they can move forward in life. And the best athletes are focused. Verses 13 and 14. One thing I do, not many things, not several things, not a lot of things. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God, this upward calling of God in Christ Jesus is what the word says. This idea of heavenward makes it sound like he's just trying to live for heaven and someday out there. It's not really what he's saying. He's saying, I'm calling the, the you know, he just says before, I want to know Christ and I want to fellowship in his sufferings and I want to experience his resurrection. What he's talking about is I want the life, this kingdom life of God living through me now and today. That's what I'm seeking for all the time so that at that end point, when I get to the end, I will be fully what God wants me to. Jesus will be living into me the best that it's possible when I see him face to face and he will look at me and say, well done. Well done. The prize is in heaven someday. It's not salvation, so I won't go to hell. It's not that I get Jesus. It's that Jesus gets me fully today and forever, every day. And the reason we know this is Paul writes similar things in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. He writes, We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we, catch this, we may present everyone perfect, which is the word mature, fully, completely mature in Jesus. And to this end I labor with struggling with all the energy I have knowing that in that process it's God working in and through me. And so that's the goal. Paul is basically saying, shrink the gap. Throughout all your life, shrink the gap between who you are right now and what you can be according to what Jesus has taken hold of you to be. So I'm going to just ask you, have you ever, have you ever made a conscious choice, a decision to say, God, that's going to be my, that's going to be my controlling goal. That's, that's going to be my individual controlling goal. And, and that as a church is what we want to be. That we will be filled with people who, who actually have the character of Christ. They respond like Christ, but they're uniquely different in all their own ways. But they have Jesus filling them in every way. So I like what Eugene Peterson paraphrases in the next couple of verses, because Paul's using these as kind of a transitional verse. Into the next part, he says, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. I would love to just raise everyone's hand and say, isn't that what we want? And then he goes, if any of you have something else in mind. I think this is really funny. 
If any of you have any something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. He just kind of trusts the God who is working sovereignly in people's lives. I trust if your heart is soft, you're going to move. You're going to get this. I'm not even anxious about that. Now that we're on the right track, let's just stay on it. So the next thing he goes into is about this idea, what I call find an example and be an example. He has just said, here's the goal. And he's saying, this is what I'm living my life for. So because as you see my life, I would love for you to just join with me and follow the example I've given you. And if you can't be with me because I'm traveling right now and can't see me, then just take note of others who are living like that around you. Now, what I think is interesting, he doesn't say take note of others who have been in the church a long time or things such as that. He's talking about people who are growing in maturity. There's a difference. Because in a moment, he's going to explain to us that there are some people who are actually, they're not, they're, when he says their mind is on earthly things, he's not talking, we think, well, that's probably not people in the church. No. Back at chapter 3, verse 2, he says, watch out for those dogs, those ones who come in. Who their glory is and their shame. He talks about the, the you know, they, they prize and they boast about their circumcision and they, and they do evil works. And he, he's, he's pointing to people within the church. He's talking about churches that are on a performance based track and they're setting people up to compare and they're setting people up to judge and they're setting people up in this place where they're not experiencing the grace and fullness of God. And so in a few moments, he's going to talk about some poor examples, but he says, what I would like for you to do is to look for some people that you can actually imitate. Because imitation is one of the most important ways that people learn and grow. I, I, I'm all for um, like teaching in classes and, 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 and things where we get more information. But I want to tell you the transmission of information that we have kind of highlighted so much in our Western culture is not the way that most people have learned throughout history. In fact, the way that people learn throughout history is the same way a little child learns. The word that he uses here is mimetai in, in the Greek. He says, be good examples in a sense. Just mimic is what he's using this word. That's what it comes to. It just mimic people like me. And, and Paul has the guts to say, do as I do. Not do as I say. How many of you who have been in the faith a while could turn, turn to someone right now and say, I would love for you to watch me, mimic me. How many have the guts to say that? I honestly believe we're supposed to. We're supposed to be growing in our character to such a degree. We're to, we're to bring what it means to be a follower of Jesus to a whole new level that the world hasn't seen. And it's not out of pride you do this. It's not out of comparison. It's out of the fact that you've set a goal that you're going to be all that you can be in Christ. And as you do that, you've learned some practices in your life. Reading God's Word. Um, worshiping with believers. Being generous with what you've been given. And a thankful life. And a life that begins to pray continually. And a life that begins to develop these characteristics. You have had a pattern set for you that you have in some way mimicked. Now, you know, think about it. That's how we learn. Children learn that way. When you watch a child, what they'll do when they're first starting out is they will, and we all get excited about this, they will listen to the sounds of their parents and eventually they'll go, they all, is it, is it da-da? That's usually the first word, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> they will mimic it. And then they'll watch their little brother. If they've got little, you know, older brother or sister. And they'll watch him walk and they want to do that. And then I remember as a kid, you know, you would take, you would learn how to write and you would take these, your letter and you'd try and trace it. Did anybody do that when you were younger? Raise your hand if you did. 
Are they doing that today in classes? I don't, you know, they're teaching how to do a keyboard, I think. But all of life, when it calls people to grow in Christ, one of the things we can talk about practices, I could give you a lot of good practices, but the very best practice you can have is to find an example, someone you could trace your life after. There are some people that you may be in a place where you go, I don't have joy, I don't get it, but you see someone who has grown in joy. They're not just naturally positive people, but they express joy even in difficult situations. And you go, i got to learn from that person. I mean, if you really have a goal to become more like Jesus, then one of the things that Paul says is find examples that are doing it and then do as they do. And I I think what's interesting is he says, you know, you need to be careful. Even in the church, there's bad examples. That's what he says in in verse 18. In fact, I I was wondering when I was reading this, he says, you know, he, he says this. For as I have often told you before, now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he goes on. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. And why is he saying tears? Because if you think about it this way, you think of a two or three year old child who grows up in a very abusive home. If there's not some intervention and something doesn't happen, what do they end up usually doing? They just abuse others. Paul's looking at these people who are coming inside the church who are setting performance-based kind of lives with God. And he's looking and he goes, there's whole kinds of churches, there's whole kinds of communities. They're coming and be careful. There's bad examples. There are people that you don't want to follow. In fact, what they begin to glory in is the very things you shouldn't glory in. That's why he says um, their God is their stomach. They were so concerned about ceremonial rules and rituals and things that they thought made them good before God. Their glories and their shame. Their shame was here they would expose, so they would circumcise themselves physically. And their glory was in what they did and what was marked on them rather than what God had done for them. And their glory being in the cross and Christ alone. So that he would go on and he would say, their mind is on earthly things. Why? Because it's all about what I can do. It's all about my flesh. And he says, you know what? Steer clear of that. Find people who really know Jesus, walk in the grace of God, move in this, in this life of this goal that he set and, and trace their life. And then he ends and he says, not only this, I would love not just for you to find an example, but I'd like for you to be an example. And he uses the word politimai, which is the word politics, which is the word that actually means citizenship. He's basically saying, as he looks at them, he says, I would like for you all I would like for you to know that your citizenship is in heaven. I don't care what country, what city you live in. You are an outpost for God. You are bringing heaven to earth. You are saying, as it's done in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here in my life, just like it would be in heaven. And he's saying, all of you be examples. Could you imagine? Can you imagine if we had a church full of people with this as their goal, setting patterns not out of judgmentalness, not out of condemnation, not out of pride, but out of deep love and sacrifice and service. Can you imagine what a lighthouse this, this body would be? We would be an outpost, just like Philippi. Philippi, that city, was on the edge of Greece, and it was actually a city inhabited by a bunch of former Roman soldiers. And they would do this purposely. They would settle cities there throughout the areas of the kingdom so that Rome would be established in another area and they would bring the culture and customs and laws of that country. And God has done that with His people everywhere, in this community, all over the place. And, God, and Paul just says, would you be examples? Find an example and be an example. So I'm going to just conclude with this. 
First of all, some of you need to just say, Jesus, be my coach. You just need to make that conscious decision. Say, Jesus, I, I'm going to set this as my goal. And I invite you right now to be my coach in my life. There are some of you who are maybe new in your faith or you're stuck in your faith in an area where you need to grow. And I would love for you to take a moment, just on your, on your hand, the three fingers, and just think of three people that you look at and you go, you know what, I would like to do as they do. They are a good example. And maybe you'll say, God, as you pray about it, God, which one would you want me to contact? Just, just to have lunch with them. And there may be some of you who are further down the road and you kind of go, well, I can't lead people through a Bible study. And I, I did a program once called Discipling for Dummies. Because I really believe a lot of people know more about God and His Word. That, and, and all you need to do, there's more Bible in you than you realize. And all you need to do is sit down across a breakfast or a coffee or a lunch with another person and begin to hear their life and you will be able to shape their life. It's not even about necessarily going through a Bible study. It's about allowing your life to impress itself on someone else's. And I just ask you, you may be in a place you go, and I'd love for you on your hand to say, is there three people that God has placed around me that I need to have lunch with? I need to invest in. I need to allow my life to impress their life. Not out of pride, out of deep love. I'm going to ask Joel and the team to come, and we're going to close as he sings this song. And I'd love for you just to prayerfully consider that. I'd love for you to begin to start saying, God, Um, Maybe for you, the biggest step for you today is to to consciously say, I I want to set this as my goal. I want Jesus as my coach. I want to start employing some of those best practices. You may need to make a a time to go to like a prayer ministry through Gateway or or counseling or find someone around you. Or it may be that God is saying, think of one of those persons, contact them. And as you pray about it, see if you could just have lunch with them. Or maybe contact someone and say, you know, I'd love to have lunch with you. I just want to get to know you and involve myself in your life.